You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. How do we live as exiled people? How do we live as followers of Jesus in a world that is foreign, in a world that's often fairly hostile towards him and his ways? How do we live faithfully to God in this world, honouring him, representing him well in what is a foreign and hostile world? Now, you mightn't have ever really thought about this before. You mightn't have thought of yourself as being an exile in this place. But here's the reality. If you, if you love Jesus, if you found saving faith through his sacrifice on the cross, and if you live in this world, which because I'm looking at you all now, I can work out that you are, that's what you are. That's what we all are. Scripture, the Bible, all the way through, time and time again, refers to believers as being exiles in a foreign world. Strangers, foreigners, temporary residents of a strange land. And if you think about it, as Christians, our beliefs around so many things, ethics, gender, sexuality, money, The list could go on. We could just continue on and on and on. So many things are at odds with the standards and cultures of this land, aren't they? But as Hugh Welchel, a Christian writer, suggests, whilst this is absolutely true, God doesn't want us to respond as Christians to kind of remove ourselves from this world, but instead engage faithfully within it. Hugh writes, We must not withdraw from the world in which we live. We must engage it in obedience to God's call on our lives, working for his glory and the common good. So how do we do that? How does God want us to engage in his world for Jesus' glory and the good of others? Well, there's perhaps few better books in Scripture to find answers to these questions than the book of Daniel. It's fair to say that the book of Daniel really is, kind of serves as a, as, a, as a model for how Christians are to interact and live in the world today. So today we're actually going to continue on our God story journey by opening the book of Daniel and we'll spend some time drawing out some lessons and, and I guess, general principles for us to apply to our own lives as exiles as we look at how Daniel and his friends lived faithfully as followers of Yahweh while exiled in a foreign land. So, yeah, let's, um, let's just pray as we open God's word and do that together today. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that your word is full of wisdom, full of, full of stories, full of historical events that not only serve to be history, but serve to be guides and encouragements and, and tools for us to utilise 
in how we follow you and serve you today. And so, God, I pray today that as we open up your word, as we look at, at Daniel and, and friends and, and their way of living in a foreign land as exiles, we pray, God, that you would really speak to us and encourage us by you, Holy Spirit, that we might live faithfully as exiles in this land too. God, guide us, strengthen us, shape us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit today, we pray. We long to be faithful to you. And Lord, we know that we can be faithful to you when we follow your ways, when we respond to your word, when we do what you say and tell us to do, Holy Spirit. So guide us today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we, before we jump right in, let's just quickly set the scene in God's story. So the book of, book of Daniel opens at a very dark part of Israel's history, the point of Israel's exile from Jerusalem. It was a, it was a while ago when we last looked at this, but... Maybe some of you can remember back, there was a period in time when Israel or the nation, the broader nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, that, which confusingly is, was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. And what happened was that the, the lost kingdom of Israel, being the northern kingdom of Israel, they sadly went their own way, continued to rebel against God, and eventually, God just gave them what they wanted. He didn't want, they didn't want him. So he said, all right, you can get taken into captivity by the Assyrians if you don't want anything to do with me. And sadly, they're known as the lost kingdom of Israel because that was the last they ever heard of. There's nothing more in history about that entire people group. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that's, a, that's a stark picture of the dangers of continuing in sin, isn't it? And so while, the, while that kingdom became lost, the southern kingdom of Israel, known as Judah, they held out for a while and before they eventually too were defeated, taken into exile. And this is the point in God's story where the book of Daniel begins. King Nebuchadnezzar, or, or Neb, as um, VeggieTales calls him, the king of Babylon... He comes and conquers Jerusalem around, well, not around, 117 years after the downfall of the northern kingdom. So it's quite, a, quite an extended period of time. And if you read 2 Kings 24, you'll discover that, that not only did God just allow this to happen, but God actually orchestrated it to happen. Yeah? It was by his design. Scripture says that these events came about as a command of the Lord as a form of justice, as a form of judgment for Israel's sin. And we only need to read the first couple of verses of Daniel to see that this is the case. Daniel 1, 1-2 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So God sovereignly allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to capture Jerusalem and to take the majority of Judah's people into exile as punishment for their sin. 
And 2 Kings 24.14, it, it paints this pretty confronting, it's a sobering picture of just how monumental this event in history was and how demoralising, really, this moment in history was for Israel. 2 Kings 24.14, it says, He, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valour, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. I mean, that is, can you imagine how devastating that would be? That's 10,000 of God's people uprooted from one place and taken away into exile. That's pretty well like the entire population of Hillsville and surrounding suburbs all of a sudden just being taken away to another place. That's, can you imagine the, even the visual effect that would have on a space? They could have taken the poor with them as well, couldn't they? Just leave them. Anyway, Israel displaced, defeated, demoralised at the hands of a foreign power, facing the consequences for their ongoing sin and hardness of heart towards God. Exiled. And this is where, it's right here at this low point in history, that we're introduced to a young man by the name of Daniel. Daniel was one of the 10,000 captives taken from Jerusalem to live in Babylon, and along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who were later renamed, maybe you'd be more familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, he was selected by the king's chief eunuch to be trained up to serve in the royal court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's fair to say, if you, if you read these early chapters of Daniel, you'll see Daniel really wanted for nothing. He, in terms of being in exile, he had it pretty good. Yeah? They were assigned a portion of the, of the king's daily food that was theirs to eat, educated for three years, and all of this before they then stepped up to serve the king. And compared to many of their fellow exiles, they had it pretty good. But the issue was, the issue was that this culture that they suddenly found themselves immersed in was not a culture that honoured their God. Why? Why was it not a culture that honoured God? Well, as Chuck Swindoll describes it, the culture of Babylon was a strongly polytheistic religious culture. Uh, in other words, Babylon was a place where there wasn't just the one God who was worshipped, but there were the many gods who were worshipped. Not just the one true God, but many. And so that was, a, that was a pretty major reason why the culture was problematic, but there were plenty of other reasons too for why Babylon was a hostile and foreign place for Daniel and his friends to live and work in. And Babylon really it presented Daniel with plenty of opportunities to, to fall into error, to compromise on his convictions and faithfulness to God. But he didn't. But he didn't. Daniel remained faithful to God as an exile in a foreign land. And we've got to be careful not to 
You know, often with Old Testament characters, we kind of look at them as some kind of superheroes. That's not the point here. And Daniel's story is not that Daniel was somehow great. Like all the great heroes of the Old Testament, the point of the story is God is kind of great. Yeah? So let's just keep that in mind even as I share some principles from his life. Because Daniel remained faithful to God, because he did that, his example is worth considering as we seek to remain faithful to God in our world today. So what are some lessons? What are some lessons that we can take away from the life of Daniel and his friends that can help guide, encourage, and strengthen us to live faithfully in this world as exiles today? Here's the first lesson. Daniel's example highlights the importance of continual relationship with and reliance on God. You know, it's, it's a pretty obvious one, isn't it? But we can't expect to do any good thing without God and we can't expect to live in this world and remain faithful to God and his ways if we're distant from him, can we? It's, it's just, it ain't going to happen. Continued relationship with God, intimate, refreshing, ongoing communion with God is what actually kept David... And it keeps us from compromising our standards and our faith as we live in this world as exiles. How so? How, how does it work? Well, I, I really believe that when we enjoy him, when we enjoy Jesus, when we interact with him, when we experience him, we actually come to have a realisation that What the Bible says is true. He genuinely is the greatest treasure that we could ever enjoy. And when we have Jesus as our genuine joy and treasure, all these other things that we could get caught up in and are on offer in the world that that are temptations for us to look to and potentially compromise for, we're able to see them for what they actually are. Maybe sometimes they're good things, but they're nowhere near as valuable as Jesus, our greatest treasure. And in Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel maintaining a routine. He maintained a routine that helped him to enjoy and commune with his God. It was a, a regular rhythm, if you like, that helped him to stay on track, to stay aligned with God and his ways, and something that safeguarded him and ensured that God remained his treasure. Daniel 6, verse 10. He, that's Daniel, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That was in a a particular moment of hardship he did that, but as he's done previously highlights that that's not something new. He didn't just do it when he was in trouble. It was a practice that he made regularly. It was Daniel's relationship with and his trust in his mighty God that no doubt, no doubt, developed through his faithful, uh, that no doubt developed through his faithfulness in praying to and enjoying God each day. It was no doubt that that helped him remain faithful and true to God and his ways. And it got me thinking, and maybe this is a good chance for you to think too, what, what, What are the rhythms and habits 
that we have in place in our own lives to maintain and deepen our relationship with and our dependence on God? What are the kind of healthy rhythms and practices do we do to help us to always kind of have before us God's priorities, God's ways, God's values, the things that that God says are true and good and worthy of thinking on and even God's best plans for people and the world? What are the things we do to continually remind ourselves of those things? Maybe it is as simple as like uh, Daniel did, um, enjoying regular times of prayer and communion with God. Maybe it's enjoying and benefiting from spending time with other Christians. You could probably guess that the four of those guys would have had a pretty, pretty alive connect group, wouldn't they? Like, that would have been... Who would like to be in a group with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? That would, that would be on fire. Pardon the pun. Whatever, whatever, whatever it looks like for you, there is no question that setting aside time to, to be with God and surrounding ourselves with his people, with his good people, will help us to remain faithful and to follow and treasure God as modern-day exiles in our world. All right, so that's the first. Daniel's example highlights the importance of continued relationship with and reliance on God. And here's the second. Daniel's example highlights that even when we live faithfully as exiles for God, we're not exempt from suffering. Read the Bible and you'll see this to be true. Scripture on a whole is clear on this. It's too bad so many prosperity preachers on TV are not clear on this. And they'll be judged for their false teaching. But Daniel's story brings this home over and over and over again. Being a faithful exile in this world doesn't mean that we will not face our, our challenges and does not mean that we'll have freedom from hardships and troubles. In fact, as Kenneth Matthews from Theology of Work says, Daniel's example actually brings home this truth. Following God will lead to a mix of suffering and rewards in life. Following God leads to a mix of suffering and rewards in life. Daniel and his friends, they experienced many blessings and hardships in Babylon as they remained faithful to God. Think about it. Daniel received favour and compassion from the palace master. That's in Daniel 1.9. He was promoted as a ruler over the entire province of Babylon and he was made the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. That's in Daniel chapter 2. And he was also thrown in a lion's den for remaining faithful to God, Daniel 6. And his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were thrown into a fiery furnace. That's in Daniel chapter 3. What? For remaining faithful to God. Now, fortunately... We no longer live in Babylon as exiles because if we would probably end up in the fire too. But 
Whilst it's unlikely that you or I will be thrown in a furnace or in a lion's den, we might face the furnace or a lion's den in other forms in our world today. You know, simply because we choose to follow and honour God in life as Christians, we'll likely face the furnace for holding to a biblical viewpoint of sexuality and marriage. That marriage is God's idea and is designed to be enjoyed by a man and a woman exclusively to each other, voluntarily entered into for life. We'll likely at times be viewed with content by others who hold to a different viewpoint. We'll probably face the furnace, so to speak, of contempt. We'll likely find ourselves in the lion's den for holding to a biblical viewpoint on gender, for cherishing God's good design in, and heart in making us male and female in his image. We'll likely at times be derided by others who hold to a different viewpoint will find ourselves in the lion's den. You know, we'll likely face the furnace for living lives with very different priorities to those around us, for choosing to cherish and treat all people ethically with love and grace and compassion, regardless of how they treat or view us, using our resources and finances in such a way that benefits others now instead of only storing up treasures for one day that we might never actually see in retirement. We'll likely at times be mocked by those who hold to different ideas or values. We all could face the furnace of, of mockery in this life. All of us, in different ways over the course of our lives, will face, will likely face the furnace or the lion's den as we follow Jesus Christ. But, but, we can be encouraged, we can be greatly encouraged by these words of Jesus from his Beatitudes in Matthew 5.10. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the key there is for righteousness' sake. It's not for our little hobby horse, but it's for those who are persecuted for my sake, for upholding what I say is good and valuable and praiseworthy. That's what Jesus is saying there. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Faithfulness to God and his ways in this life will lead to both blessings and hardships, but we can be sure that our faithfulness to Jesus and his ways will not go unrewarded. Just a little, little asterisk on that bit too. As Christians, sometimes we go about making a stand for Jesus' priorities in the wrong way, yeah? Jesus doesn't expect us to make a stand for marriage or his heart for sexuality and relationships and gender by being a real tool and being hurtful and antagonistic and going out of our way to belittle and make people feel lesser than human. If we do that, we're not in any way honouring Jesus and we're not 
doing what he says. And we're certainly not being, if we get persecuted for that, we're getting persecuted not for righteousness' sake, we're getting persecuted because we're really foolish and really hurtful and not very kind. But we can, in love, make a stand for Jesus' greater ways that he says are true and are are best plans for people, even when they stand diametrically opposed from the ways of the world. We can do that with grace and with love and with kindness. Yeah? And that's an important thing just to weave in at that point. Okay. So that's the second. Daniel's example highlights that when we live faithfully as exiles for God, we're not exempt from suffering. And here's the third and and final thought I want to share for today. Daniel's example highlights how God desires to actually use us to bring his peace and hope to a dark and broken world. You know, I said it before, it's easy to kind of look at, look at um, Daniel and think, man, he is a superhero. He's just like on fire. Is there anything that he cannot do? And scripture, if you read Daniel 1.4, it says he was chosen because he was without blemish. He was kind of handsome and skillful in all wisdom. He was endowed with knowledge. He was understanding and learning. He was competent to stand in the king's palace. So, so he had a few things going for him. But here's the thing. What set Daniel apart wasn't his natural giftedness, but his humility and his reliance on God. What set him apart wasn't all of his abilities and all of his skills and all of these things, but it was the fact that he had a humble spirit and a faithful reliance on God. Over and over again, Daniel's behavior showed that it wasn't internally he was looking for wisdom and guidance and and breakthrough in whatever it was. He was constantly getting on his knees and looking to God for direction. And I don't know, for me that's encouraging. Maybe for some of us that's encouraging too. Because God can use anyone and God desires to use everyone, all of us, to help bring his peace, his shalom, which has more than just a a sense of peace, but but it's an experience of peace as well, bringing blessing and equality and um, joy to the world around us. Another Old Testament prophet in a similar time speaking to the nation of Israel in exile as well, Jeremiah, he, through, he spoke some words of God and this is what he said to, in Jeremiah 29, 4-7. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You know, that's a really beautiful picture of shalom, of God's desire for for peace, of God's heart to see us integrated 
faithfully into the communities that we're placed in whilst continuing to live faithfully as exiles in those communities. I don't know about you, um, but I, I, I read that and I kind of get this sense that God's saying to, to the nation of Israel, don't waste your exile. You know, they, they were in exile for, for 70 years in Babylon. And God's saying, don't waste this time. Don't waste your exile. There's so much good and hope and light and joy that I want to bring to this place through you. And there's a sense that God hasn't stopped saying this very thing. God hasn't stopped saying this to us and he won't stop saying this to us until Jesus returns. Don't waste this exile. John Piper wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Life. And the same kind of thing is true. Our life is one as Christians whose we're just temporary residents in this place. This is not our true home. We too need to be careful that we don't waste this life. We have such opportunities, friends. We have such opportunities to, as other translations of that Jeremiah passage talk about, to seek the peace of the city, to, to play a role in seeing God's redemptive work reaching out to people, transforming communities, seeing places truly flourish and seeing people turn to and praise him as a result. We have such opportunities, friends. Like Daniel, whose example caused multiple rulers of Babylon through that time, King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, to, well, they didn't bow the knee at Yahweh, but they certainly marvelled at the power and might of Yahweh, living our lives faithfully as exiles can have similar effects on people that we're seeking to reach with the good news of the gospel too. Simply the way that we live in our communities can help bring about God's peace and hope to our communities and can help people to look to our mighty God too. The way we invest ourselves in, in the Yarra Valley or whatever community we call home and plant roots, not just those sort of shallow roots like, oh, I'll, I'll make a little token effort here, but that all-in effort of like, no, 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 God, you have me here. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to partner with you in full, holding nothing back to see what you can do in this place. I'm all in. And as we do that and give ourselves to God holistically to serve and him and share his love with others, that, that heart, that willingness to be all in can help bring God's peace and hope to the valley and will result, no doubt, in people looking to our mighty God too. Friends, <coughs> excuse me. Friends, you and I can if we give ourselves to God and choose as we're led and empowered by Holy Spirit, we can choose to invest ourselves in the places God's planted us. And as we do that, we can continue to play a role and do so in even more amazing ways in seeing people reached with the gospel and seeing communities transformed 
by the gospel. The good news for me, and I'd say this would be good news for all of us, is that we don't need to be anything special. We don't need to be anything special. We don't have to have it all together. Who says, praise God for that? We don't even have to be naturally talented with many gifts and abilities or resources. We don't need those things. All God requires of us, all God requires of you, just like he required of Daniel, is a humble spirit and a willingness to truly rely on him. That's it. You know, it's not easy, is it, living as exiles in this world? It's not easy. It can be a really hard slog in certain contexts to live faithfully to Jesus, can't it? I remember when I was a um, tradie back in the day, when I was a mechanic. That was a tough environment to remain faithful to Jesus. Let me tell you. There were so many things on offer each and every day that were temptations to surely move away from God and chase after the things of this world. And I remember years ago just how valuable it was to have people praying over me as a young fella in the overalls to remain faithful to Jesus and to have the strength through the Holy Spirit to be a faithful exile in that place. And so that's what we're going to do right now. I don't know what your context is. I don't even really need to know what's going on, whether it be in a, in a school or a university or in a workplace or in a home context or in wherever it is that you find yourself, wherever it is that you are living on mission for Jesus. All I know is God wants to empower you by his spirit to continue to remain faithful and be his witness as an exile in this world. So if we, maybe Laura, do you mind just coming and playing quietly in the background? We're just going to have a moment where we're just going to wait on the Lord and then I'd like to invite anyone who wants prayer just to come forward. Refreshing to continue to live faithfully or prayer for breakthrough for a particular situation that you feel is really keeping you from, from being the kind of witness that you want to be in whatever place you find yourself in. So let's just, let's just wait on God and then we'll have a time of prayer together.